1: Another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 330.
0: Hello, everybody. 330. I feel like it's a it's a time in the day when we pick up kids from school or something like that.
1: When I suddenly feel really tired.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like coffee time or like <laughs> take a walk time or one of those things. 3.30 yeah. in the afternoon. Anyway, it is not 3.30 in the afternoon, but it is episode 330 of the Family Gamers Podcast. Hello, everybody. I am your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my other host, my better host, my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. (laughs) And this week on the show, we are going to talk about something that was suggested by a show listener, a couple show listener suggested things in this episode, I think. And this week, we're going to talk about multiple games on family game night. Is it okay to split the family up for family game night to play multiple games at the same time? Yeah. So we're going to talk about that second half of the show.
1: But first... We're going to start with a fact, which mm-hmm. was also provided by a listener this I week. I know.
0: Super handy. Very, very handy. By the way, if uh, you are so interested, if you happen to know some random thing about some random number that might be coming up in the next 20 or so, that would be up to about 350. Please send an email to andrewatthefamilycamers.com and let me know because less work for me is always better for everyone. Or maybe not. But anyway, <laughs> this week's We fact. like
1: less work for you. <laughs>
0: This week's fact is about the Rickenbacker 330. This is an electric guitar. The Rickenbacker 330, like all Rickenbacker models, is manufactured in the United States, specifically within the Rickenbacker factory located in Santa Ana, California. It is not mass-produced, but rather produced to order for dealers and individual customers. It carries an MSRP of about $2,000. It is the top-selling instrument, the 330 is, in the Rickenbacker family, in their lineup, as stated by the company CEO. So
1: I looked up a picture of this one, and it's a very classic-looking electric guitar. It's certainly one that I've seen before.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pete Townsend is a notable player of the Rickenbacker. He, I mean, was the principal songwriter of The Who, which is yeah. a band you might have heard of. Guitarist for The Smiths, Johnny Marr. Peter Buck of R.E.M., lots of famous people. Yeah, sure. Legit stuff. This is not a practice guitar. So that's our fact. Thanks so much to our show listener for submitting that one.
1: We also have a message from our sponsor. Before we get into the meat of the show, it's tax season. Boo. During this season, there are some really useful things to know. For example, some states offer a tax break for residents who invest in their state's 529 college savings plan. Yay! That has worked for us! <laughs> in Massachusetts, where we live, we actually got a tax deduction for using our state's plans. If you want help planning for your kid's college education, you can go to firstmovefinancial.com familygamers and use the link there to set up a 15-minute call to see if First Move can help you with your financial planning.
0: Thanks so much, First Move Financial, for sponsoring another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. All right, Anitra, it is that time we talk about the games that we've been playing.
1: I have only played games with you this week.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's okay with me.
1: (laughs) It's been a weird week. I don't have my computer. All kinds of things are weird. Yes. Yes. Our
0: computer is... Well, one one of the many computers in our house is... um, in the mixed. shop. It's in the shop, so to speak, right? <laughs> so, I mean, fortunately, we like analog gaming, and so that's uh, not yes. that much of a problem. So we sat down and we broke out a game that we got in for review fairly recently, which is the Genie and Houdini set from Unmatched. I think I talked about this last week a little bit. Yeah, you did. But you hadn't played it yet.
1: I hadn't played it yet. So it was it was interesting. I got to play as Houdini and Bess. Mm-hmm. It seems like that is definitely going to be a challenging combination.
0: I think so, too, because I played as Houdini and Bess, and I lost to Asher playing as the genie. Yeah. And I beat you by a little bit more than he beat me by, but I, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's something about Houdini. There's you know, some kind of trick to it that we've got to just play through a few more times to see. I really do want to mix these two up with some of the other yeah. sets. Yeah, I agree. I, I was all excited for a couple of minutes because I was thinking that Aladdin was available and Aladdin and the genie would be cool, no. but it's Sinbad. Yeah. But I still might want to do a Sinbad versus the genie fight. I still
1: think that might be interesting.
0: Sinbad is a very out. powerful character. So Yes. Sure. Yep. 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 So that, that could be fun. Uh, another game that we played that is a review title. Actually, almost everything on our list is a review title this week. <laughs> yep. We played Featherlight, but we played it at four players. So this is something that we talked about a lot, about how this game would feel different when you played at more than two mm-hmm. players. What do you think of that?
1: I think there is a loss of control. Oh, sure. Not just loss of control, but things generally feel a little bit more chaotic. It's exactly what we were anticipating. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about if people can figure out what you're going for or not, because there are three other people going before you get a turn again. So you're not worried about telegraphing your moves. You're worried about, can I possibly make this work?
0: Yeah, and the thing that's really interesting about this is if you're even asking yourself, can I possibly make this work? The answer is probably no. Probably no. Yeah, so, you know, even things where I would pull a card and I would think to myself, hmm, I think that I'm one card away and it just forget it.
1: I bet big in this four-player game. I had like a 20-point card that I was going for and I just could not do it. I believe I had the worst score of anybody in that game. It just is a lot harder to do what you want. Not that it's ever easy in this game, but the more players there are, the harder it gets. Sure,
0: sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and like you said, it's just a little bit more chaotic, but it's... It's interesting because the unpredictability of the game is really juxtaposed against the style of the game, which seems really calming.
1: I mean, I would still say that it calm is maybe not the right word, but it's not frenzied. It's not something where, you know, you are striving super hard for this one thing to play featherlight Well, you need to hold your goals loosely. Mm-hmm. Yep, and kind of go with the flow of the game. So in that way, I think it is still kind of a laid back game. Sort of. <laughs> I was reading through the rules and realized that it also has a solo mode. So mm-hmm. I'm going to try very hard to make some time this week to try that and report back on how that goes. Well,
0: gosh, you also have to play the solo mode of Lacrimosa
1: oh boy (laughs) playing the solo mode of lacrimosa means i need to devote better part of a day to it i don't
0: think it'll be that bad i mean maybe i'll play the solo mode of lacrimosa i wouldn't mind
1: you've been doing more solo gaming lately you know Mm -hmm. nice change no
0: judgment hey sometimes it's just my way of getting away from my family without being away from my family put some headphones in play some solo Mm -hmm. games Mm -hmm. it's uh probably marginally more socially acceptable than playing video games with my kids around Yes you know. and no. Anyway, the next game that we played is a game that you and I played, but it is a co-op game. And this is Kuzuka. Kazuka? Kazuka.
1: We better figure out how to say this game before we review it.
0: Like, <laughs> like bazooka, but with K. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, Kazuka. That's what I'm going with.
1: So this is a Pegasus Spiel game. Mm-hmm. And you are animals trying to, I guess, escape from the zoo. Oh, yeah. And yep, working absolutely. together to escape from the zoo. Yep,
0: It's fantastic. Love
1: it. And it's... <laughs> sort of a deck building game and sort of a deduction game. I mean, it's one of those where you've got limited communication and so you're trying to figure out some amount of like what other players can give you.
0: Yeah. So it's a probability slash sort of
1: read the mind of your teammates because you're kind of sort of giving clues. You're trying to give clues. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Yeah. But you can't say a lot of things. So yeah.
1: So this is a neat game and I'm looking forward to playing it more.
0: Mm hmm. So in Kazooka, everybody has a hand of cards, and everybody kind of plays as a different animal. So there's asymmetric player powers, which can be useful. And you're traveling along this path with all these different colored spots on the path, and you're trying to get out. And you have, I think, seven rounds. I don't know if that's based on player count or not. I think the rounds are always seven. I
1: think you always have seven rounds, Yeah. yeah.
0: And basically, all of the different colors have different card distributions. So there's like 16 blues and 11 greens and only six yellows and whatever. Something
1: like that, yeah. Yeah.
0: So what you're doing is you are putting out tokens of your animal type along this path. And you can either put one in the section that you're in or the next section, but you can never go backwards. And basically, what you're trying to hint to the other person is which cards you have in your hand by putting something on like the next green one, which indicates like I probably have some green stuff in my hand. We
1: can do more green. Yeah. The key here is that at some point, somebody has to make the decision, no, we're not going to go any further along the path. And then you stop, and everyone reveals their cards. And if amongst the whole group, you have as many cards in that color as the indicator on that last piece of the path, so let's Mm -hmm. say the last... Indicator on the path that somebody placed is at six green. If there are at least six green cards amongst the whole group, great. You have won this round. You get some good stuff and you get to have some things that'll help you get closer next time.
0: Yeah, you might get a wild if you match the number exactly. You'll get more cards the next time around and more cards allows you to obviously get further along the path you get
1: these little point things that you can then turn in to like upgrade the level that you're playing at (laughs) and that's what lets you get more cards and things and also lets you do some public cards so that everybody can see like oh hey we definitely have one green because it's already sitting out there yeah the goal of the game is to during some round, have somebody place their marker on one of the spaces in the very last section of the path, which is sort of the escape section, and then when the game is called and everybody flips over their hands, that you have enough at that point, at which point you have escaped the zoo. So, in the first couple of rounds, you're really just not going to be able to get that far.
0: Absolutely not, nope.
1: So, it's about working together and figuring out these clues and It's almost like a press your luck element along with the deduction clue giving part. It's a really neat combination of how this works out. I like it.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think this is a really interesting game. I'm really a little worried about playing this with kids because I think that there's a lot of subtle body language implication kind of stuff that goes along with the social deduction kind. And it's not social deduction in a traditional sense, but determining a lot of those things. So I'm really going to be interested to see how successful we are with actually getting children to play this and potentially win
1: Well, it's funny. This makes me think of, it's got very similar mechanics to something like Liar's Dice, except that it's cooperative. So... Yeah, I I mean, I guess so. Sure. Yeah. In Liar's Dice, you're trying to say, okay, amongst everybody, there's going to be, you know, five threes or six fours or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yep. And at some point, somebody calls your bluff and then you find out whether what you said is actually a thing (laughs) that's present or not. Right. So... Because Kazuka is cooperative, you're not so much calling a bluff as trying to figure out how far along that can we go before we stop and say, no, this is a good place to stop. Let's find out if we actually have what we need to get here. Sure. So I say that because our two boys have both struggled a bit with Liar's Dice, but I think because this is cooperative, although there will be some losing involved, I think it will go over better, you know, like... Sure, they won't feel hurt if it doesn't work out because I think their biggest thing with Liars Dice is getting forced into a situation where you either have to call on somebody else who you're not sure about, mm-hmm. or you have to make a kind of outlandish bluff yourself, which you don't really want to do. Yeah, I Kazooka mean,
0: removes a lot of that. A game like Liars Dice really rewards you for playing in an uncomfortable space.
1: Yeah. And, well, and this like just that. turns that uncomfortableness on its head. You're, it's still uncomfortable, but now instead it's how far can we push because we want to get really far along the path.
0: Yeah, but I think that when it's not competitive, it doesn't feel that awkward.
1: Right. I agree. Yeah. So it's uncomfortable in a different way, but mm-hmm, it's yep. it's a more impersonal way and that makes it easier.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so that is Kuzuka from Pegasus Ashpila.
1: We've got another cooperative game. Mm. You and I went on a little date.
0: It was the best. It was great. That was a really, like, our kids went to, like, a youth group thing, and we just went to the local restaurant in the area and just got a couple drinks and dessert. No food, just drinks and dessert.
1: And then I pulled out Wild Tales from my purse, Mm -hmm. and Wild Tales is playable as either solo or two-player uh, so we played it at two players. I caught you up quickly on the mechanics and the plot, such as it is, of this tiny little 18-card campaign legacy game. <laughs> and we went for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I liked it. I thought it was cute. I thought that once we figured out, once I, I figured out how all the yeah. different mechanics worked, I thought it made a lot of sense, to be perfectly honest with you. And, you know, I I guess my only misgiving with the game at this point and I've only played it the one time but it's really that I didn't feel like I had a whole lot of decision making like it was clearly that this was the move that I should be making right now
1: I will say that I liked it a little bit better at two player just it felt more like a cooperation like oh if you can do this then I'll do that sort of thing and I think if we play again we may start being able to do some more like, oh, let me give you this item that you need and stuff like that as the levels get a little harder.
0: Yeah, there were certainly things that we didn't take advantage of, I will say, yeah, while yeah. we played. It just didn't really seem like it was necessary. Uh, I mean, this is a legacy game, so it has like stickers and stuff mm-hmm. that you can put on things. So, you know, not a spoiler, I don't think, but we had like a home base. Yeah. And it really didn't have anything on it, but it had a lot of...
1: Spots for future Spots stickers. For stuff, yeah. And yeah. like
0: dotted lines where like clearly something was going to get put there or potentially yeah. get put there in the future, but we didn't have any of those things. So I don't know. I mean, I... I find this really intriguing. Like, it's really interesting to me. You know, I know last week, Chad had said he had seen this before, and he thought it was really cool. And, you know, just their ability to do so many interesting things in 18 or whatever cards with some stickers. Yeah. And, you know, we we really saw that. We really did. And there is a lot of multi-use card stuff, which I've <laughs> always liked yeah. in games. So it was cool. I. I wouldn't say that mechanically it had, you know, something you could sink your teeth into, but it felt rich enough in the way that you were playing. This is
1: not a deep plot kind of campaign game. As far as the depth of how invested you get in these characters and what they're doing, I would say it's similar to like a Zombie Kids Evolution or something like that. Like, okay, yes, there's some characters and you're trying to beat off these bosses. Okay, fine, sure, whatever. But I think the further we're getting into this game, the more choices start to feel like they matter. And this is basically a boss battling kind of game. So it's never going to be super complex, but you have decisions of, should I try to get more stuff? If I try to get more stuff on this turn, should it be the kind of stuff that's going to help me battle the boss? Or should it be the kind of stuff that's going to help me advance in level so that I can beat the final boss
0: yeah i mean i don't really have the perspective of it feeling more complex over time because yeah. i only played it the one time but i once. will say that it's not mechanically like complex like layered but what you're doing in the game there's enough meat there like yeah like, yeah it's not one of these games where like you just finally feel like you're getting going and the game's over you know what I mean? Like we've played engine builders that are like that. And even yeah, builder, no. Like I even feel this way sometimes about Wingspan. It's just like, all right, I finally have my engine moving. I'm finally doing what I want <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the game's over. It's like, what the heck? But this game, like, okay, I was able to move some things around. I was able to accomplish something. It went back and forth. We were kind of fighting off the crescendo of power with the big bad. I felt like we were doing a lot of strategic and tactical things over the course of the game and it wasn't like, oh, and the game's over.
1: Yeah, it definitely had a crescendo and decrescendo, shall yeah, we say. Yeah, like, And I like that a lot. I like it. Like the that. last couple of turns were kind of a okay, let's just cycle through. Okay, that thing happened. Okay, and now we finally pulled the stuff together. And he's beaten and we're done. Well, uh, the, but, but that's because but we that's found
0: a, w- a like system that worked.
1: Well, but and I would assume, based on my plays so far, that something like that will happen in a lot of games of Wild Tales. And that's just the rhythm of the game, that instead of being a last-minute pull victory from the jaws of defeat, if you've got a decent system going, it'll just kind of crescendo up and then crescendo down and you're good. That said, I haven't lost a game of Wild Tales yet. So that also has something to do with it for me. I mean,
0: maybe, I don't know. I just, I felt like it was a good game that I would like to play, when I, I have something that I I want to think a little bit, but I'm not like exhausted by it. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's not like white knuckle. Like, is this going to work? I just, I don't know. It was just nice.
1: It was just nice. Yeah. I don't feel super invested in it. It's yeah. just, sure. A, sure, yeah, sure, sure. like, right. let's go do the next chapter. Sure. Whatever.
0: All right. That was Wild Tales.
1: And the last game on both of our lists is Touring Machine. Oh,
0: no, not more Touring Machine. Oh, we no. We our 12-year-old had to play.
1: Yes. And then you and he had to go somewhere, and I played one more game on my own, which I was pretty satisfied with my performance, but the website told me that I was not as good as the AI.
0: Uh-huh. But you I know what? I mean that in the nicest puzzle.
1: But, but you know what? This is that kind of puzzly game where solving the puzzle just feels good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like,
1: it feels better if I can do it. And it's like, yes, you did it in the same number of steps as the AI. But even if I didn't, like, it still feels good that I figured out the puzzle.
0: (laughs) What's the big O of N of whatever this is? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Uh,
1: Don't bring that terminology out, please. (laughs) I don't remember how any of that works anymore. (laughs) What?
0: Are you serious? All right. Well, we'll have a little lesson after class.
1: Yeah, great. (laughs) (laughs) Extra tutoring, just what I always wanted.
0: Oh, anyway. All right. So I think that's... Everything that we've been playing this week, except, except it is time for the monthly report, For the monthly report. It's actually the ninth, but last week was a guest episode, so we didn't want to talk about the monthly report there. So it's time to talk about what we did in January, January, another month where I failed at my goal that I have every month, which, as you may remember, is to average one game a day. I played 27 games in the month of January.
1: What was your H index? Two. Okay. Lame.
0: I played Star Trek Super Skill Pinball three times. Mm-hmm. You will be hearing the audio for that snap review during yep. this show. And I played Chronicles of Avell twice. I also played Flamecraft, Jekyll vs. Hyde, Featherlight, Fantasy Realm, Scribbly Gum, and Turing Machine twice. That's a lot of twices. Yep. So good job. Thanks. Um, <laughs> but I didn't have any more threes. Like I only had the one three, so my H yeah. index wasn't going anywhere. Right. Sure. Yeah, so
1: I had forty three plays in January. <laughs> wow. To be fair, my H-index is three, and that's mostly because I played Grove six times.
0: Okay, (laughs) okay, well, good Christmas gift. Way to go, Mom. I,
1: I mean, yeah. (laughs) Well, and Grove plays in less than 15 minutes, so Mm -hmm. super quick solo game. Not only that, way back when I did the Kickstarter preview for this, I was like, look, it is literally set up to make you immediately want to play a second game because there are 18 cards in the box and you only use nine. Yep. So then you have just have the other nine and you're ready to go for a second like, game.
0: It's like one of those TikTok videos where they put the little mouth on the cards and it's like,
1: play me and <laughs> yes! I want you to play with me. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and my other ones that had at least three plays were Featherlight. Okay. Which we talked a little bit about, and Turing Machine. Wait, who
0: did you play Featherlight with that wasn't me?
1: Oh, I played one game with Asher.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Fine. <laughs> What other interesting and fascinating insights can I provide the listening audience? Let's see. I played 19 of my 27 games with you. 93% of my games were played at home.
1: Wait a minute. What? I played 22 games with you in January.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know. You're missing something. Apparently. That's okay. Maybe I did play one game a day. I have no idea. Maybe you did. Yeah. Close enough. I mean, there's 31 days in January, so. Sure. But anyway, the vast majority of my games, not quite 75%, but the vast majority were two-player. I played the most games on Monday, followed very closely by Saturday.
1: I also definitely played the most games on Monday. Mm-hmm. And Saturday is my next biggest, but it's not even particularly close.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what else I could possibly tell you that might be interesting. Uh, either played at home or at unknown. I don't know where that <laughs> place is, obviously. But, uh yeah. All right. That's all I got. Alright, that is uh the monthly report the on monthly my side. Report. Do you wanna add anything else on your side?
1: I don't know. I don't feel like my January was particularly interesting, but I'm gonna have to work really hard in February to maintain even that level of <laughs> not terribly interesting.
0: Well, I mean, we're gonna have TantripCon. Oh, that's true. That'll help a couple of weeks. Yeah. So that'll help out a lot. All right, and that is it. Do you wanna welcome our new members now or after the break? Let's go ahead and welcome them now. Okay. Well, Uh, We have had a few new people join the Family Gamers community on Facebook, and we're going to welcome them right now. There's a couple of organizations that have joined, but we'll welcome our people. Let's say
1: welcome to Amanda. Welcome to Michael, and I'm looking forward to seeing you at QScon. Yes.
0: Welcome to Naomi.
1: And welcome to Florent.
0: Thanks so much for joining the community. There's a welcome post. Head over and say hi and talk about what games you've been playing and all sorts of cool family gamers related stuff who do you play with who are the kids in your lives they don't have to be you know your sons and daughters they don't have to be your kids yeah and nephews they could be the neighbor's kids or something like that students
1: yeah sure whatever absolutely yeah Yeah, definitely so head on over to facebook and look for that post or i have a link to it in the show notes
0: awesome and with that we're going to take a break when we come back we're going to talk about playing multiple games on family game night
1: we'll be right back We're going to take a look at one of our favorite TV series in a new board game.
0: Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra.
1: I, yes, but no, it's going to get confusing. Shocker, one the most. You need to stop. This is a snap review for Star Trek Super Skill Pinball. Temba, his arms wide. Star Trek Super Skill Pinball is The Final Frontier of Roll and Write Pinball by Jeff Engelstein and published by WizKids.
0: Up to four people can play out of the box. Best for ages 12 and up, maybe because most kids don't love Star Trek, but mostly because the game takes at least 45 minutes. So, Anitra, let's talk about the art here.
1: The art here is a mashup, but the kind that you'd expect to see on a pinball table, so it works. There's a combination of pixelated screenshots from classic Star Trek and The Next Generation, there's illustrations that look like they might be from a coffee table book, and animated characters lifted right from the recent Lower Deck series.
0: Which is the best Star Trek on television, I'm telling you. All of this is layered with pinball staples like flippers, bumpers, drop targets, and illustrated indicator lights.
1: It really does feel like a pinball table when you combine a back glass and a table board.
0: And the dice are sparkly.
1: Like a Starfield.
0: So in each row, let's talk about the mechanics for Super
1: Skill Pinball. Star Trek Super Skill Pinball uses the same mechanics as the original Super Skill Pinball. Imagine that. You'll physically move a ball token around on the board. You choose one of two dice values to mark off a box each turn, and that's the box that your ball hits.
0: Every turn, your ball has to move down unless it bounces off a bumper that lets it stay where it is. When your ball reaches the bottom of the table, try to get it on one of the available slots for the red or yellow flipper so that you can shoot it back up into the table and hit targets in the matching color.
1: Earn points and bonuses as you hit different features and try to rack up your score on the back glass.
0: You might even activate multi-ball or use a skill shot or try to nudge the die result to hit a better target.
1: Don't tilt. You usually get three balls or three rounds. When the third one is gone, the game is over. Try for a new high
0: score! Star Trek Pinball has four unique tables.
1: Starfleet Academy is a good introduction to super skill pinball. It's a pretty straightforward table, except for the Kobayashi Maru targets. Those have to be hit in order to get their bonuses. And somehow you have to roll a seven to hit the final target?
0: The Trouble with Tribbles table makes you take triples when doubles are rolled or when you hit certain features. You track your triples on the back glass along with your points. Collect up to 14 triples to score big, but if you end up with more than 17, you'll start losing boxes in your flipper zone. However, you can remove triples or send them to your opponents with the transporter.
1: Rude. <laughs> the Lower Decks table is wacky. The gravity generators are broken, so the main board keeps flipping orientation. You only get a single ball in this game, so you're going to try very hard not to lose it. You can recruit crew members from the Cerritos to help you. And there's also a set of promotion targets that will double your entire score when you fill them, which you can do multiple times.
0: Finally, there's the Borg attack table. Use the first two rounds of normal pinball to unlock ships, photon torpedoes, and shields. Then, in the third round, you move to play on the back glass itself, bouncing the ball back and forth between the ships you've unlocked and the board Cube, brick breaker style. So, Nitra, what did we expect from Super Skill Pinball Star Trek?
1: I played and enjoyed the original Super Skill Pinball, but... After I played it a few times, I didn't come back to it. The generic pinball tables just weren't that interesting. So I was really excited when I first heard there was going to be a Star Trek version about a year ago. Because I am definitely a Trekkie. I expected it to still feel kind of long and still play best as a solo game. Just like the original.
0: I actually totally agree about the theming making a huge difference. I also agree about it being best as a solo experience. But... Well, here's my surprise. We'll go right into surprises. Two of these boards are hilarious. I didn't expect it at all, but the wackiness of lower decks and the gravity, and if you watch the show, all the references that you're going to make while you're playing, are actually pretty funny. Especially if you're working through something on your own board and you hear, oh, the gravity has flipped the board! Also, constant triple references.
1: Constant. All of the tables here are really well-themed. They keep me coming back to play again and again, because they really capture some of my favorite moments from the franchise. The Borg Attack
0: and the Lower deck tables are surprisingly original. They do things you could never do with a physical pinball table, but they still feel very much like you're playing pinball.
1: They do. Most of the tables are still pretty much a solo experience. So I love that the trouble with tribbles lets you mess up other players' plans. It finally gives me a reason to play this game in a group and not just by myself.
0: So, Anitra, do we recommend Star Trek Super Skill Pinball?
1: If you like pinball and you like Star Trek, then I'd highly recommend this game. It's going to run you 40 minutes to an hour, but you will find yourself trying to get just the right number of triples or recruit Boimler for an awesome promotion. If you're not a Trekkie, this theme probably won't keep your interest, but you might check out the original Super Skill Pinball or the Holiday Movies Edition.
0: Even with the great theming, there were certainly times when the game did run a little bit long, like Anitra said. I had a few plays where I was like three-quarters of the way through and I was like, I'm done. I don't need to play anymore. I'm all set.
1: So, Andrew, <laughs> what are we gonna rate this? I think we're gonna give it four phasers out of five. And that's Star Trek Super Skill Pinball. In, in a, a snap. snap. Choo, 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 choo. We're back. Hello. So, as we mentioned, our topic this week is splitting up Family Game Night.
0: Yeah, so this was recommended by a show listener. We had solicited some ideas in that Family Gamers community general chat that we've talked about a couple of times. And a few things were offered. And this was one of them. Can we split up the family for Family Game Night and play two separate games? So we've kind of a lot of thoughts about this topic. They're a little scattered, I suppose. Some of it is things that we can do, but also we're going to talk about what would actually work for our family, which doesn't necessarily mean it works for everyone.
1: Right. Well, so let me say that first, I realize this is kind of a niche question, even within what we already talk about, (laughs) because splitting up the family for family game night presumably means two parents and at least two children, but probably more.
0: Yeah, and (laughs) undoubtedly what's going to happen when you have multiple children is you are going to end up with different skill levels. Now, this could be because of age. It could just be because one of the kids is a gamer and the other one's not a gamer.
1: Or somebody struggles with reading or with math or with planning ahead.
0: Yeah, so most likely, though, I think it's going to be age-related. I think that's the Uh, most most common situation that you're going to run into. You might have two gamers, but one of them is nine and one of them is six, (laughs) right? And the difference between a nine-year-old and a six-year-old are pretty substantial. Yeah. So especially with regards to these kinds of things. So yeah, absolutely, you can split up family game night and play multiple games. (sighs) There's a lot of thoughts that I have around you know, this kind of a thing. One thing that I think is really important here is Family Game Night still, I think, really should have interaction across the whole family, Yeah, which definitely means that Family Game Night should not be the kids go play over there, the adults are going to play over here. Right? That's well, not Family that, Game That's night. not
1: really Family Game Night right. anymore. I will say that in our family, this is not something we've usually done. If there's a big disagreement or like, oh, I don't want to play that, or oh, it's too hard, and we're trying to do family game night, we will usually start with something that all five of us can play together that's relatively short, and then kind of release the complainers afterwards and play something a little bit deeper. Right. And I don't know, I
0: mean... We play enough games in our family that, for me, that doesn't really feel like a family game night. That feels like we forced the family to come together for a period of time, and then they have broken apart and done their own thing. I mean, yes and no. I think capital FG and family game night means something a little bit more special. But here's the thing about this that I think is really important. It doesn't have to be the game itself that brings everybody together. And that's why Mm -hmm, I think the mm -hmm, answer to this mm -hmm. is yes. It's the experience That brings everybody together. So a family game night can be a family game night because you put two tables next to each other. And even if you have two different games going on, but the little things like you have the same snacks or everybody takes a break at the same time to do something social together. right? Because then that causes the full experience, even though the middle word is game and the game is different, it causes the experience of the evening to be a consistent thing.
1: Yeah, I would look at this a little bit like running a game night for any other small group. Mm -hmm. Where you're saying, hey, the point of this is to be together and to play games together. So we don't have to do it all at one table, especially if you have a bigger family, you know, six, seven people.
0: Well, I mean, this could include brothers and sisters who are aunts and uncles, or grandmas and grandpas, or, or, you know, it could be absolutely multi-generational that makes a family game night a family game night.
1: But we also know people with larger families who have five or six kids, and yeah, it's hard to sit down and play a game for eight when you've got one kid in kindergarten and other kids in high school.
0: Well, and I will add to that, we get a lot of questions about, like, how do I get my kid to like games, right? Mm -hmm. Which, first of all, the answer is you don't. But you have to get them to like them on their own terms. But guess what? If you're forcing your kids to sit down and play a game with a bunch of people with wildly different skill levels, that's going to be a really frustrating experience in a lot of ways. Unless you find a very particular special kind of game, even if you do the thing where it's like, okay, well, you know, these two young ones are with mom and these two are with dad and, you know, and you're trying to balance it out because... It's very difficult to make that successful for everyone. It might be successful for half the people or maybe even a majority, but it's hard for yeah. that to be something that's going to work for everyone.
1: Yeah. Not to mention the different attention spans involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Most kids, the younger you get, the shorter their attention span gets. So they might want to play the same five minute game five times while a teenager will be tired of it after the first time.
0: I mean, that's it's funny you say that because I was thinking it kind of before you said it. It's amazing how kids have shorter attention spans, but they can do the same thing over and over and over again. So
1: repetitive. (laughs) So our main ideas here, if any of this describes your family or you've got a big family gathering and you want to do a big family game night at a holiday or family reunion, something like that. I think there are two main things. One is, as Andrew said, not just splitting it off so it's like, oh yeah, everybody under 12 is over here and then everybody over 12 is at this other table. Don't do that. Maybe do it a little bit, but don't do that the entire time. And that gets to the second part of this, which when I said do it a little bit, explicitly change up partners partway through the night. You're playing shorter games anyway because of this setup. So have a halt point where it's like, okay, and now we're going to take half of this group and half of that group and smoosh them together.
0: Yeah, this is the square dancing method.
1: Yes, I (laughs) I like that way of describing it.
0: It is really important to engender the community feel of the game night, however you do that, whether that's with the game or whether that's with the experience or whether that's with the whatever. Yeah. So I think that's super important. The other thing is like, These games really, ideally, are easy to pick up, easy to drop kinds of games. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to have kids that just are like, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to go do something else. And they might want to wander off. And you don't want to ruin a game for six people. Because one person was like, I can't do this anymore. And so you definitely want to be very mindful if you're committing to a two-hour experience that everybody at the table has bought it
1: probably don't do a two-hour game in this time frame i would stick with things that are half an hour or less Mm
0: -hmm. ideally Um, yeah
1: and as we mentioned with the younger players maybe play the same five or ten minute game a couple of times instead Mm.
0: but you can also play games that are essentially like party games, but you don't necessarily have to play them in a party game context. Like you, you can play a game like, I don't know, the Roop Your Float Challenge with four people. And yeah. so someone can yeah. kind of drop in if they want to, or any number of the word games that you don't necessarily have to be there at the beginning of.
1: Oh, like a, like things. a Taple sure. or even a Similo, mm-hmm. you know, cooperative clue giving game like that could work.
0: Yep. Any game that has teams, you can find a way to try to fit those things in. But again, you don't want to do yeah. the whole like mom with a two youngest and then dad with the two middle or whatever. Like, it's really, really hard to make sure that everybody's involved when you do something like that. But if you have this kind of rotating cast of characters, so to speak, <laughs> mm-hmm. having those teams can make it a little bit easier to move from one game to another because you don't have to be like, okay, all of the games have to end at 7.30. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. All of the reasons why you might want to do this, like two kids just can't get along when they're playing games or one kid just will not stick with anything that takes any significant amount of time. All of those issues are still going to exist even in smaller groups.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So be aware of that. Honestly, I love this question because this is not something we had ever thought about really before for us. Mm-hmm. I think we might do this the next time that we're trying to set aside. I mean, game night is maybe a little bit too formal, but set aside an hour or 90 minutes to do some family gaming.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, I, I think the key here is to find the glue, right? So if everybody's playing the same game together, that's very easy. But in a context like this, where we're talking about playing two separate games, What is the thing that's going to keep it cohesive as an experience? Is it merely playing in the same room? It could be. It's going to be dependent on the people.
1: And maybe you pull it together with one everybody involved game that's short at the end of the family game night. Mm -hmm.
0: Maybe you even do like a mini tournament thing. Like, okay, you guys are going to play that game. We're going to play this game.
1: And then we're going to swap and like... Or something. Or
0: like, dude, whoever wins, like you're going to... I don't know, rock, paper, scissors. And, you know, whoever wins that doesn't have to clean up or something like that. You know what I mean? Just something that brings it together.
1: Sure. Sure. So I imagine one of the reasons this question got asked is because anybody who is a parent or spends much time with children knows where you have at least two children, you will have disagreements.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or adults that act like children.
1: Uh, Well, you know, so... Having two or more options of games to play will make it a little bit easier to find common ground and agreement, but especially in a family like ours where there are five people in the family. One kid might be super insistent on a game and kid number two is super insistent on a second game and kid number three is like, I don't want to play either one of those. So be aware that that's still going to be an issue. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be solved by this, but you might be able to rein it in a little bit. In our family, there are several games that Claire and Elliot like to play and Asher doesn't. There are several games that Claire and Asher like to play and Elliot doesn't. It kind of round robins around. In a situation like that where you just have kids who butt heads all the time, I would figure out your sets of people for games first and then figure out what the game is going to be.
0: If you know you're going into a situation with multiple games at play, no pun intended, (gasps) you have the opportunity to do multiple games. Uh, Right. So, you know, if there's a game that kid one really likes and there's a game that kid two really likes, guess what? That's what Compromise is all about. Play them both. Sure. Sure. So you've always got options like that.
1: I want to throw it out there to our listeners. Have you ever done this with your family game night or with a larger group like a family reunion or Christmas or whatever.
0: Right. What's really interesting about this question is the person that asked this question hosts a board game convention at his house (laughs) once a year. So I know that he's familiar with the concept of a bunch of games going on all at the same time, which also means, sir, that you've got some ideas and I'd love to hear them. (laughs) So you can go to our Facebook community which is where that chat was that this question came up in by going to the familygamers.com forward slash community or by searching for the family gamers community on Facebook. You can also at us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at family gamers AA. We want to know what you think about this question. Or have you ever done this before? Maybe you've got some funny story about some mistake that you made and it went horribly wrong and we can all laugh together. and
1: Learn from my yeah. mistake, sort of thing. I'd, <laughs>
0: Whatever, I mean, we'd we, love to hear We it. don't
1: have to laugh at you.
0: No, 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 with, not at.
1: Uh, of course.
0: If you want to tell a story that you'd like us to share without your name on the podcast, we'd be happy to do that as well. You can always email me, Andrew, at FamilyGamers.com.
1: Anitra at thefamilygamers.com.
0: We mentioned Tantrum Con. Tantrum Con is coming up in two weeks. If you don't have your ticket, I'm sorry they're sold out. But if you do have your ticket, now is pretty close to the last chance you're going to get to pick up some Family Gamers merch that you can wear to the show. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and more at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch.
1: Man, I would be psyched to see somebody wearing a Family Gamers t-shirt. So excited yes. for the show.
0: It's going to be awesome.
1: Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you're hearing. And please tell your friends about it. We're not weird or we're (laughs) acceptably weird, I guess. (laughs) I mean,
0: we've been hosting a podcast (laughs) out of my office for six, seven years
1: about board games. About board games. Yay. Sorry, honey. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I changed it to acceptably weird. Okay. We're acceptably weird. Fine. But yeah, tell your friends about us and uh, maybe we can offer them some help for board gaming with their family. Everybody has a family.
0: This is true. And we would love to help them.
1: Or you could also leave us a review at Apple Podcast, which is actually super helpful and tells strangers about how acceptably weird we are.
0: Yes, tell all of the strangers (laughs) how weird we are. We would appreciate it very much.
1: If you would like us to eat weird foods for science on the podcast and tell you all about them
0: bring them to tantrum con or you can just mail them to us the family gamers 60 auburn street number 528 auburn massachusetts 01501
1: it has been a while i think i'm gonna scour the like after valentine's day sales and see if i can find anything yeah the weird. trick to
0: this is to go to like dollar general <laughs>
1: yes. big lots yeah
0: all those weird places yeah, yeah. that's where you get the weird stuff Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points.
1: Well, I think that's going to be it for us this week. Uh, We might even be able to make time for a family game night this week.
0: Maybe. I think we can certainly shoot for it. We already have our guest planned for next week, which I'm very excited about. And then we're going to be at Tantrum Con, which I'm also very excited about. Exciting all around. So much excitement. <laughs> but until then, play like games, games with, with your kids. kids.